Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm joined by international traveler, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today, Lucy is in Canada, visiting with a colleague of hers and longtime collaborator, Dr. Keith Porter. Dr. Porter has worked with Dr. Jones for nearly 15 years on various scenarios, including the shakeout scenario and the arc storm scenario. Listen in as they talk about their experience with arc storms and extreme weather events. I'm sitting here in London, Ontario, Canada, at Western University, talking with Keith Porter, who was the chief engineer for the original ArcStorm model that we worked on together over 10 years ago. Thanks, Keith, for talking to me today. It's my pleasure. Given what's going on in California, we've started talking again about what happened in the ArcStorm model. So the ArcStorm model was a specific model that we made back in 29, 2010, of what it would be like to have one of these series of atmospheric rivers like we're seeing going on in California here in, in January of 2023. One of the things that's noticeable that we did with the ArcStorm model and that we saw in California a long time ago in the winter of 1861-62 were storms that hit the full state. But with both of them, we had phases. There would be a sort of Southern California phase, a Northern California phase. So far, what we're seeing in California this year has been much more concentrated in Northern California. Got into Central California, hit Santa Barbara. And that does play out in how we see the damage. So what I'd like to talk about today is think back on what we modeled for ArcStorm and the type of damages we've seen. What we've seen so far in California, which isn't nearly as bad, and think about what it takes yet. to go yet, not yet so bad. What does it take to go from where we are now to that worst phase? And then in the long run, how we think about this as an ongoing feature of weather in California. So let's start with talking a bit about what we modeled in the original arc storm and how we went about doing it. We started, the meteorologists really started for us. They said, First of all, there have been this paleo flood evidence that shows these massive storms six times in the last 2,000 years. So, although that sounds like a long time, that's uh, you know that's a on average 300 year 300 years between these massive storms with smaller ones you know along the way. The 1861-1862 flood was not one of those six, and yet it flooded the entire state. You know, it created this. Anyway. Those of us who study extreme events know that 300 years isn't a really long time. That's right. Um, But anyway, uh, so the the meteorologist said, well, you know, we know these massive storms happen. Uh, They said, uh, we are confident that they came about because of this phenomenon called an atmospheric river, where there's this uh, jet of warm, moist air coming at the Pacific coast from the Western Pacific. And one of the critical things about an atmospheric river, the reason they call it that is that it's a relatively narrow jet. I mean, 200 miles maybe doesn't seem that narrow, but as an atmospheric phenomenon, it is pretty much so. And that's why when they come in, we'll see one part of the state getting hit. Maybe it travels down the state over time. Sometimes it only comes in in one area, but that narrowness of the river is a significant part of this phenomenon. 
Right. So it's a big old fire hose pointed at the Pacific coast, and the fire hose is a couple hundred miles wide. And then it, you know, it points at Northern California, and then it slowly shifts its target to Southern California or vice versa. So anyway, the meteorologist said, well, this happens. We've got all this paleo flood evidence that it's happened, these huge storms like we've never seen uh, over the last uh, couple thousand years. And, um, you know, there was this big storm in 1861, 1862. So what happens if a storm like that, the, the question the arc storm asked was, what happens if something like that or when something like that happens right. again? Then, the, then they said, okay, well, maybe we can just duplicate 1861, 1862, but they couldn't do it because they didn't, you know. There was we, we didn't have enough data, right? You really have to go to the last 50, 60 years where we can actually say this is the distribution of winds, the distribution of rain. If we really want to look at all the phenomenon, it isn't just having one rain gauge in, in Tuolumne. Exactly. So they didn't have enough meteorological data from 1861, 1862, but they said we do have the historic record of meteorology of the last several decades. Let's take two storms that we know happen, we've got all the data for, and just sort of stick them together because that will approximate the storm of 1861-1862. And it was a big part was that it was it was plausible because the, the atmospheric conditions at the end of the January 1969 sequence of storms, for those of us who grew up in California, I remember that storm sequence pretty clearly. The end of that looked a lot like the beginning of February 1986. And so it was meteorologically plausible to stitch them together. And we ended up with something approaching four weeks of rain, many of it very intense. Think of that day in San Francisco a few weeks ago on New Year's Eve where they said they got more rain than they'd seen since 1862. And that means that back in 69 and 86, we were getting less rain going into those arc storms any one day, at least in San Francisco, compared to what we've gotten in the last few weeks. In this storm, San Francisco experienced uh, between five and six inches of rain in a 24-hour period. And, you know, a lot of people don't have a sense of what that feels like. And I think of it this way. If you were to step into your shower, that intensity of water coming out of the shower head is like an inch of water per hour. You mean like the old showers, not the old new, showers, the, not That's the right. California ones that have all of those uh, reduced flow valves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you step you you step outside into the rain, and it's coming down so that you're wet with it. You know, you're soaked uh, within a half a block of walking. That kind of intensity mm -hmm. of uh, yeah. of rain. So, five or six inches in, uh, in in a space of a day, it's probably not even over that period of time. It's probably really, really intense for a few hours and then less so later on. The meteorologists, they are able to, from the data that we have from these two historic storms, they're able to create a map of the intensity of rain every hour over you know, several days, yes. over the entire period. And, and we modeled essentially a month. I think it's important to say though that when we did that model, unlike this year, we had what we called preconditioning. We had the fall of 1968, there was a lot of snow that fell. And so there was quite a snowpack on the mountains when this came down, and we used that as, as part of this. In this instance, we've been really low on the lower level. We aren't melting a lot of snow that was falling before this. So that's, that's made this time a little better than the original Arkstar model. And the preconditioning matters because? 
this saturation. That's what we're all talking about right now. We've now really, if this is the preconditioning and we have more storms, we now have fully saturated, already full rivers, uh, and we start seeing a lot more flooding. Right, so the, the water just doesn't, doesn't go into the ground or flow down the river, or whatever. It, it turns into flooding. Um, the meteorologists were then, they then created these maps of total precipitation over three days and the frequency with which the arc storm rain has fallen. So by frequency, I mean in this particular location, it's one in a thousand year precipitation. And in that location, a couple of counties away, it's one in a hundred year precipitation. So picture a map that says that has a bright pixel that's thousand year precipitation and another one that's hundred year, et cetera, et cetera. And it's based on real data. This is taking right. that data from those previous storms. So it's not just making it up. It's saying, we had this. All we're doing is taking two existing storm sequences and putting them in the same year. Right. Historical precipitation that we have measured and so on. But that's rain that falls out of the sky and hits the ground. And that's really interesting and that's important, but that's not what causes damage and economic loss and human misery. Uh, the next step in creating the arc storm was to ask ourselves, okay, well, what does that do in terms of flooding? You know, how what fraction of houses get get wet? Get wet, have water rising to cause damage. One of the things I learned in this process that I always found really interesting is that the definition of a flood is that the water is rising, or the definition of a debris flow or a landslide, even if it's mostly water, if the water's moving downhill. It's considered a debris flow, and it's only considered a flood if the water's moving up. That's right. And which way the water's coming affects whether your insurance covers it. Right. Right. If it's falling water... You uh, have to get a landslide coverage, and though it's a rare. But if it's it's rising water, it doesn't matter what your homeowner's insurance is. Unless you've bought flood protection, you are not covered mm -hmm. for rising right. water. And that's what we're talking about here, rising, rising water, water from the, the, you know, the rivers are filling up and they're spilling over their banks... Uh, the levees break and the flood protection fails. And the water falls on impermeable streets yep. and gives us our urban flooding. That's right, yeah. So you don't have to be near a, a river to get flooded. That's one of the big lessons that I've taken away from working at the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction is you know, Canada, where we are now, has a much bigger problem of urban flooding, or at least we're, we're much more aware of urban flooding and basement flooding and flooding that has nothing to do with being near a river. Uh, you just have so much intense rainfall that it can't get into the stormwater system and it can't get into the rivers fast enough. It gets into your house first. We had to create maps that estimated, okay, in this storm, given this precipitation, what gets flooded? This is a, a touchy political issue. You know, we have multi-billion dollar flood protection system in California that we spend an awful lot of effort uh, maintaining. The Army Corps of Engineers builds it. Not, not every levee in the state is built by the Army Corps of Engineers, but there is this extensive system of flood control, but they can only go so far. You know, the best flood control that we've got protects against flows that have like a one in 200 year you know, likelihood of being exceeded. And, and many of them have a, a lower level of protection because they maybe were built without any engineering expertise back in the 19th century. Or the system in Southern California, we had all those floods in 1938, so let's prevent 1938. Right. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a 100-year flood analysis. So let's prevent 1938, repeating. Exactly. The best your flood control is going to do is protect against 
200-year precipitation near that spot. Then if you're getting precipitation with a 300-year, 400-year... Thousand-year. Uh, Thousand-year recurrence interval, the water's going to go over the top of the flood control. And then once it does that, it erodes the levee, and you get water behind the levee, and all the houses that were protected by that levee now get flooded. Mm. And that is much of, you know, there's a lot of California that's protected by levees that can get overtopped. And that was, to me, one of the most surprising things about ArcStorm was here we took a storm that was not as big as 1861-62. We could say probably had about the same recurrence interval as a big San Andreas earthquake. We used the same methodology because Keith also led our engineering report for the shakeout earthquake scenario to estimate damages. And the storm ended up causing about four times as much damage as the earthquake did. Yeah. Why do you think that's true? Well, it's bigger. It affects a much bigger area of California. The, uh, a storm can hit the whole state, uh, whereas an earthquake is, you know, it's by its nature, limited in its geographic scope right. uh, to a few hundred miles. Right. And I th that actually is, I think, a lesson for us as we think just generally about disasters. The really big earthquake, the really big disaster is not more extreme for you. It's that there's so many more yous yeah, involved. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, it's, the arc storm brings home that when it comes to natural disasters, big floods, especially atmospheric river events, we really are all in this together. Nobody escapes loss from an arc storm, for, in, in this particular hypothetical one, nobody escapes loss from the arc storm. The entire state has some flooding, so every county in the state gets a little bit of flooding, but more than that, doesn't matter whether your house gets flooded or not. You're doing business with somebody whose business is getting flooded. You're buying from them, uh, selling to them. You are uh, all suffering from the disrupted it, supply chains. We, we're, we're in it together. Exactly. Thanks to Dr. Keith Porter, who is the chief engineer now for the Institute of Catastrophic Loss Reduction in Canada, previously working with me to be the chief engineer for our arc storm and shakeout scenarios. Thanks for talking, Keith. Sure. It's been fun. Well, let's leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online at drlucyjonescenter.org to get past shows and to access more information on this and other topics. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.